Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series dedicated to helping all of us talk more openly about money. Each show features a special guest who will share with you one of their favorite money myths. Then together, we will discuss how to bust that myth wide open. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I'm your host. My company, KBK Wealth Connection, is dedicated to helping women, couples, families, and their financial teams shatter money taboos and learn how to effectively talk about money. Today, it is an honor to be joined by Julie Fortin, who is a uh, CFP. She is a wealth manager and money coach at North Star Financial Planning, a fee-only financial life planning firm located in New Hampshire. And during her almost 20 years working in the financial industry, she has gained a unique perspective on what it means to have wealth and prosperity. Julie is currently being trained at the Financial Psychology Institute and currently working on a graduate certificate in financial psychology and behavioral finance. When she does graduate, she will be a certified financial behavioral specialist. Thanks so much, Julie, for joining us today. Thank you, Kathleen. I'm a, a follower and huge fan of your work, so it's a real honor to be here. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you very much. Well, I'm excited because you're doing all this great work on financial health, and your myth today is financial success is the same as financial health. So tell me a little bit about what motivated you to pick this particular myth. Well, I, I feel like financial success is a term that most people are familiar with, and financial health, maybe not so much. Um, or if people have heard of financial health, perhaps they think the two are one and the same. So I, I do know that mo most people are probably not sitting around contemplating the distinction between these two terms, <laughs> you know, understandably, as, as people are out busy with their own lives. So I thought it would be a fun conversation to have. Great. Now, can you tell me what uh, the definition of financial success is uh, versus the definition of financial health or how this uh, myth might sure. impact people? Sure. Yeah. So I think the traditional definition of financial success has always related to external measures of being financially successful. Um, so, so external things such as a person's financial ratios, like their savings, debt, or spending ratios, their balance sheet, or the size of their retirement accounts. So basically, an individual's objective financial status. Now, whereas, yes. Let me ask a quick question. I'm sorry to interrupt. So with financial yeah. success, really what you're talking about is kind of the American way, which is there's never enough money and more money is a good thing. So financial success is measured Correct. that way. Okay. Correct. Basically, accumulation and, and really looking at it in that silo where financial health, it's a little more complicated to define, but when looked at from a wellness perspective, it's been suggested that financial health is determined by a combination of a few different components. So it includes an individual's financial behaviors, their financial satisfaction, their ease or anxiety around money, and then also their objective financial status. So in other words, um, proposing that financial success is only one of the components of overall financial health. 
Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about this that much. And, and with the health, it seems like it's both internally how we're feeling about our relationship with money as well as, you know, these objective financial measures. Um, so tell me when you're working with clients or you're thinking about this for yourself, how do you think this myth uh, that these two things are one and the same uh, actually impact people? Well, I, I think it shows up in a few different ways. I think that it can show up whenever there's kind of an incongruence between between the two things. So what I mean by that is, you know, for example, somebody who by all definitions has wealth, but yet they're not happy or they have so much anxiety around their wealth and maintaining their wealth that they can't fully enjoy it. Or on the flip side of that, somebody who might be of average means financially but they seem to be doing a lot with the money that they have. And they're very financially satisfied. They have kind of this sense of abundance about them. So I think that the financial success piece, when looked at just on its own, it, it might be temporarily serving in that it, it could be motivated as a way to accumulate, you know, save and work a little bit towards your goals. But I don't think that financial success on its own is really going to get someone all the way there. Well, and, and so with all money myths, right, there's usually an upside and a downside. So that it's not it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's not all bad. So is there any way and maybe you just mentioned this, but is there any way in which thinking that financial success is the same thing as financial health can actually be beneficial to a person? Well, I think it can be beneficial in that temporarily it can be motivating. Um, but, and, and maybe it is beneficial for individuals who might not be looking uh, for the other aspects. Maybe all around wellness isn't as important as strictly financial wealth for those people. So I suppose believing in this myth for a select group of people might be might be beneficial. I think knowing the advantages and the differences between the two is it, it is really helpful to know. So so it's actually I mean like a lot of myths I think it's like a short term thing. So in the short run it might be motivating, but in the long run it sounds like for most of us, uh, with a few exceptions, it might get in the way. Um, of our either our relationship with money or our happiness or our ultimately our overall personal success. So tell tell me a little bit more about how it gets in the way and and maybe some clients you've worked with where you've seen this happen. Sure, um, I, I can even give you a personal example of perfect um, for myself. For myself, when I was in my twenties. I was working in the financial services industry, so I was at an investment firm, and I, I was actually even getting a master's degree in finance during that same time. So I was definitely comfortable with compound interest, and and it, at least generally um, a sense of finance. So I was very diligent about saving into my employer's 401k plan 
And because of the nature of the company where I worked, I was also receiving a pretty substantial employer match and profit sharing into my retirement plan. So by the time, you know, my mid, not even late 20s, mid to late 20s rolled around, I had amassed a pretty substantial savings for somebody my age in my retirement account. But to make a long story short and spare you the details, I ended up cashing out my 401k and using it to fund the purchase of a house. And so this is kind of an example of, on paper, I would say at that time, I was a financial success. But I would not say I was financially healthy because I ended up making a, a really poor financial choice because I hadn't yet learned the tools and the skills to sit down and think about what do I need over the short term? Um, you know, what are my values? My values at that time were more geared towards buying a house that I had some space in and I knew I wanted children. So I had a certain house house in mind. So that took precedence to me at that time in my life over what I was going to need for money 40 plus years down the road. So had I sat down and kind of carved some out for short term, short term savings, I would have been a lot more financially uh, better off. It's interesting because I because when I'm thinking about this myth right now, I think about it happens to also be in my early 20s. Um, I mm -hmm. made a decent amount of money, uh, you know, got, went into banking and um, by all external accounts was very financially successful. But when I think about my financial health at the time, it was a little bit different in that um, I, I would actually classify myself almost as an oversaver and too conservative. So mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy the money that I made. In fact, I felt a lot of angst when I shopped. Um, and as a result, I would say that on paper, I looked good, but internally, I didn't feel very good. Um, so it sounds like it's those two components of being, you know, having the skills and uh, and being able to amass wealth is different than having the insight and the relationship with money that you want. Exactly, exactly. Um, looking at those different components of financial health, so one being financial satisfaction, um, a, a large piece of financial satisfaction is when our spending and savings are not aligned with our values, that's when dissatisfaction occurs. Uh, so I think of the example, not literally, but the example of, you know, handing somebody your credit or debit card statement and having them reflect back to you what you value. And is it true? Is it a reflection of really what you want to be spending your money on? Um, if, if they see charges for hiking boots and kayaks and, and things of that nature. And they reflect back to you, you have a love of outdoors and you love nature and, and that rings true to you. Then however much money you're spending on that, you're, you're going to feel satisfied. Whereas if somebody reflects back to you, Dunkin' Donuts coffee or, you know, expensive clothing, that's what you value. That might not ring as true. That's really interesting because I, I think that's one of those great exercises that people can either do with the help of someone like yourself or on their own is really take a look at their credit or debit statement and go, you know, what am I expressing here in terms of my my values and what's important to me? And it sounds like that's one of those components is the um, 
being your behavior, but then also being satisfied with how you're using money. What are the other components? Because you mentioned a few others, I believe. Yes. So, um, so there's the financial satisfaction, which, um, which I also think a big component of that, in addition to the kind of the values and spending and savings exercise is something I actually think of often, which is a little strange, but, um, just the fact that money in itself is a made up concept that it has no, it has no meaning on its own. So, so really it only has the meaning that we assign to it. And so I, I kind of always have that in the back of my mind. And I, I think of the work of um, Lynn Twist, who has an awesome book, The Soul of Money. But another piece that I think isn't talked about enough, that's a huge component towards financial satisfaction, is the fact that we're fortunate enough to live in a country, one of the richest countries in the world. However, in the U.S., we have a huge consumer culture. So, you know, daily we're bombarded with messages that are are telling us, um, you know, from businesses that have a vested interest in us purchasing something. You know, they're sending us messages that in some way we're inadequate um, and we'll be better off or we'll be happier once we, you know, dot, 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 and insert whatever it is here. Once we have the boat to take our family out on um, or that we can't have quality relationships with our friends and neighbors unless we have that huge expensive pool installed in our backyard. So just these messages um, that we're receiving on a daily basis. And I think it's really hard to kind of get into the frame, the the mind frame of prosperity when you're tied into that consumer culture and always chasing more and chasing more. Um, so I think that's that's a big driver of financial satisfaction in America as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the other day I saw an interview with someone uh, in the leadership role at Facebook, not one of the names that you necessarily know, um, and she said, that, that every day we receive 750 plus messages about what we should be buying, doing, spending. It, it's crazy. It's a crazy number of messages. Um, and I, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting because I know, I know for me, I'll give you an example. So I recently went on a trip to Costa Rica with a group of girlfriends and the, the folks that I went with are all in the retail industry. And so needless to say, there was a lot of preparation in terms of shopping for Costa Rica. <laughs> And I have to tell you that I enjoyed it for about a week or two, you know, buying the new bathing suits, the new shorts, the new t-shirt, whatever. Um, and then after a while, I just felt like I didn't, I wasn't really enjoying it, but I was still doing it. And so I ended up with all these clothes. I ended up returning some of them and I realized what was it about, what was it about this experience that I didn't enjoy? And I think I enjoy the outdoors. I do enjoy having um, clothes that are functional in the outdoors and that look good. But I just hit a level where it just wasn't really um, connecting with my values. So when I got to Costa Rica, I said to them, I said, 
I want to do all sorts of things. And they're very activity oriented as well. And we did. And we had a wonderful time. But at one point, they said, we want to take a day and go shopping. I said, I'm going to sit by the pool. <laughs> I'm all shopped out. <laughs> but there is a way in which it's, I guess yes. my point is, there's an easy way to get kind of trapped in that. And, you know, I, I'm much older and much more mature. Um, so certainly peer pressure isn't a huge thing. But there was a sense of this is what we should be doing, preparing for our vacation. And then you get to Costa Rica. And, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's a lovely place, but there's not a lot of wealth. And so it really is a striking moment of like, wow, do I really need three different skirts in the same color with slightly different stitching? I do not. <laughs> so it's really kind of interesting, that idea that you're talking about of living in a consumer culture and, and what that does or can do to our financial health. Absolutely. I, I think I think it also contributes to the the debt amount that we have in this country, both at a national level and at a personal level. You know, the amount of debt we have is astronomical, and you have to wonder um, if we all were just more aware um, of the culture in which we live and, and choose to disengage a little bit from, from being a consumer so much, you know, what that might do to the debt level. Right, right. Now, if someone's listening to us right now and going, wow, I, I get what... Julie's saying, and I feel like I want to do something about it that I no longer want to define financial success as the same as financial health. What's a step or two that someone can take to, to start to work on this? Yeah, so, well, it, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the other components of financial health is our financial behaviors and what we're doing with our money. And you know, behaviors is kind of our actions, but it's also our thoughts and, and attitudes around money. Um, and so where we are now is, you know, starting in the 1990s, there was a lot of innovation and technology that allowed us to look more at the brain and how the brain functions. And so at this point in 2016, there have been numerous cognitive neuroscientists that have conducted studies and determine that only about 5% of our cognitive activity, so, so that includes decisions, emotions, actions, and behaviors, um, only 5% of that is conscious. So to put that in a financial context, this means that about 95% of our financial decisions and behaviors are based on information that we are not even aware of. That's scary. Which to me, to me, is absolutely fascinating. Um, so when you when you look into that a little bit deeper, um, so to, to give an example of what that might look like, um, I think of a, a story um, from Mazarin Banaji, who's a psychologist out of Harvard, and she's done a lot of research around our implicit biases. And there were experiments done where where people record words into a tape recorder and have the words um, heard back through headphones, except the same words are said by other people as well. And so you're asked to identify the words you're hearing that were said by you in your voice versus said by others. And it turns out we're not very good at that at all. We're actually no better than guessing. However, the same subjects at the same time were hooked up to a machine, which in those days measured um, physiology by skin conductance. So how much sweat do your fingers excrete when you hear your own voice versus the voice of others? 
And the data showed that you actually must be recognizing your own voice at some implicit or unconscious level, um, even though cognitively you couldn't tell the two apart. Wow. So, you know, that study, that study in particular isn't as relevant now because of smartphones and new technology. We actually do recognize our voices a little bit more, but the same study has been repeated in multiple different contexts, multiple different ways. Um, patients in hospitals who are unconscious and information that they're receiving while they're unconscious later followed up on and show that it actually had a bearing on their health. So all of these messages, you have to, at the very least, wonder, um, as far as your financial decisions, how much of it is based off of what you, yourself, want for yourself at this point in your life, and how much is messages that you received as a child, or earlier in your life, or at some point, that you're not even aware of. So I would say, anybody looking to get started it should really start with with that and there's multiple different um, activities and exercises in, in which to do this and I'm happy to share that with people but um, really just to build awareness building awareness of these different money scripts that we have isn't necessarily going to change the behavior but just having awareness of them um, does actually change how we're behaving in our attitudes towards money now. Um, yeah. So I would say that's yeah. No, that's I think that's a great start. that's a great thing. I um I usually refer to it as uh you know tapping into your money mindset and then turning up the volume because if you don't if you can't hear what you're saying, it's hard to change you know behaviors if you don't know what the thoughts are that are connected to them. So I think that's really great advice. I think that study is fascinating. Now I know uh, Julie that you're in the process of putting together a workshop about financial financial health. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about um, your work and this workshop and if it, if at all they were interested, how they might be able to contact you? Sure. Um, so I think that all of this um, isn't just interesting. It's applicable to real world situations and, and people. Um, it, it, while it's great to have people come in and meet with us here at the office and and that's great. It also doesn't address the people who maybe aren't coming into the office because they're too financially anxious. Um, so I really wanted to put together a workshop to address all of the financial health components in a real applicable way that people can take home with them and apply right away. Uh, so if people, for right now, it's just going to be in the New Hampshire area for people who are local. But if anybody wanted to reach out to me to get more information about that, I'd be happy to share it. And what's the best either email or website to reach out and uh, connect with you, Julie? Sure. So I can be reached at um, julie at northstarfp.com. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn if people want to reach me that way. Great. And you have a personal blog called familymoneymanager.com. I just want to tell people about that. So can you say a word or two about that before we end today? Sure. So that's something that you know, I actually started years ago. And, <laughs> you know, I, I at this point need to start applying some of the same behavioral change, con change concepts uh, that apply to financial matters to my 
my own personal blog too, because I want to start sharing more of this information through that blog. Um, because I think it's information that people, um, it, it's relevant in addition to being interesting. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. You really, it's very insightful. And it's not something that I would have thought of. It's not a myth that I would have come up with myself. And that's what I love about this podcast mm -hmm. is getting into people's headspace and understanding kind of the different things that they see in their office or personally. So I really appreciate you uh, participating today. And I know you apply what you talked about today all the time in the office with clients and then in the future with these workshops. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. So thank you for everyone who's out there listening to Breaking Money Silence. I'm Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and author dedicated to getting people talking about money matters. I have a variety of books out there, how to give financial advice to women and how to give financial advice to couples that are primarily for financial advisors, as well as a workbook called Creating Wealth from the Inside Out, primarily for clients. My next work, I'm very excited to say, is on the topic of Breaking Money Silence, and there'll be a book out in 2017 on that. Um, so if you're interested in finding out about these resources, my speaking, my services, feel free to visit my website at kbkwealthconnection.com. And remember, uh, until you tune in next time, that together we can break money silence for good. Thanks for listening.